Hey everybody, welcome to episode 195 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? We also have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California, who, who, who doesn't consider it down. He considers us up or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, you guys are up. <laughs> All righty. Oh, so, so Jaime, do we have any Ask MTJC to begin with? Yeah, the closest one we've got is one of my colleagues, um, Brad League, who is, as of this recording, but by the time this episode comes out, we'll have returned from... Berlin uh, attending UIConf, uh, a conference I've heard good things about. And uh, we've got this tweet here in the show notes for those of you driving at home. He says, uh, excited to meet Rene Fouquet at UIConf and see him rocking my colleague at Dev with a Hair podcast t-shirt. Uh, and that's that's rocking our, our second run of t-shirts, I think. Yeah, I'm not mistaken. Design number two, that's right. Mm-hmm. So it's awesome to see that. It's awesome to see the, uh, the spread of the show. And maybe this is a little bit of an opportunity to say, hey, by the way, we also have brand new t-shirts out this year. Uh, we'll have that link in the show notes for those of you. Um, I just got mine in the mail. Uh, it fits great. It looks great. You want to support the show or uh, you need a new dust rag, then you can buy one of our t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. In our last meetup last week, uh, I ran into um, our friend from South Africa, the one he's now moved up here and he's working uh, for a company and I can't remember the name of the company, but they hosted our last uh, our last meetup and he was telling me, I gave him one of the shirts and he said, oh, he loves his other shirt. He wears it all the time. So now he's got a choice of two shirts to wear, which is awesome. All right. And I've got a- um, couple of shirts to give away uh, at WWC if anyone can find me at the show in a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, just look for just look for Mark. Find me uh, and uh, introduce yourself. Say you're a listener, and you could win a shirt. I should have sent you a Tim Hortons cup because then you could stand out in front of the conference with a Tim Hortons cup and collect you know coin while you're there too. Collect coins, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have a Starbucks mug around somewhere. That's not the same as a Tim Hortons cup. Come on, that would that would that would draw the attention of at least the Canadians anyway, the ones that have been up here. Anywho, um, okay, so we were talking just a bit of follow up here. We were talking last week about I was talking about the fact that um, Google seemed to Google Analytics um, or Google's SDK didn't seem to have had a requirement where you had to put in your app uh, an option for people to opt out. And just as soon as I said that, I got an email from Google. I'm just looking for it right now. I took a link from the email and put it in the show notes here. But Google has, of course, updated their, hey, they've updated their privacy policy. No, there's a surprise. No, this is actually their their uh, analytics uh, information for those of you driving at home on data retention and all the stuff that's going to be taking place, I guess, in a week's time on May 25th, when 2018, um, for those of you listening in the future. Um, that's when the GDPR t- kicks in. And I'm, it's funny, I'm starting to get, I was thinking about MailChimp too, because MailChimp is another tool I use for mailing lists, which to be honest, with you. We do have a mailing list, by the way, for the, more than just code. If you want to head over to mtjc.fm and just click on the link there and sign up. Um, we haven't really sent much stuff out, but like, you know, if we want to announce t-shirts for available, we could do things like that. But um, So we have a, a mailing list, but I just got an email from um, MailChimp the other day, too, saying, are you ready for GDPR as well? So I think we had a similar thing here in Canada called Castle, you know, um, Canadian anti-spam legislation, where you have to opt in, sort of double opt in to receiving an email from companies or bit mailing lists that you do 
business with. So it's a little different than GDPR. GDPR is about like whether people can have ask you to remove their information from your servers and so on and so forth, right? But uh, just uh, the follow up on the fact that uh, Google has in fact updated their thing, and I'll have to look at their SDK to see if they've updated the, the SDKs within the app or or at least the, the, the how to use them, how to how to implement them, right? I don't know if either of you guys use anything like Google Analytics or Facebook or login or yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much every, mm-hmm. everyone now is 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 starting to comply. I mean, I'm, you, you see it pretty much all the time now. Yeah. You know, anytime you look at a new library or something like that, not every time, but pretty often, often enough that it's 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 very noticeable now that everyone is is starting to comply with this, which I guess they have to. Sure. Yeah. Well, if they want to do any business in Europe, right? Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, speaking of data retention and things like um, like in credit cards, they have a thing called PCI, which is payment card information, which is very restrictive in terms of how you can keep people's data around. Jaime's got a story here on a new credit card coming out. Yeah, at least the rumor, and, and the rumor seems pretty strong here that Apple is reportedly going to launch a credit card with Goldman Sachs being the one uh, behind said credit card. Goldman Sachs is a bank or something? Or? Yeah, it's one of the big four in as well, at least in America, with uh, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, and Chase being the other three. Okay, cool. Well, we'll just wait and see for that one, right? Yeah, we don't have a lot of details here, and certainly in circles that I run through, people are like, mm, I don't know, like Goldman Sachs, how do you feel about that? And I think if we can look at it positively, I would assume that Apple has enough clout that if nothing else, they can bully a large bank into doing the right thing for its customers. May not help everybody else, but they can say, hey, you know what? This is what you're going to do and you'll yeah. get all this money, which is probably the, the big driving factor. Yeah, then maybe they'll spread the love around. But like you said, yeah, they're they're the biggest company in the world. So I guess they get to, they get to dictate terms, unlike it was back in the early days of the iPhone. But here we are 10 years later. Yeah. I wonder if it'll be actually a physical card or will it only be Apple Pay? Oh, interesting. Well, it must have to be a card because I mean, it's for every, every, we would think it's for everyday purchases, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it, it doesn't cost really much of anything to print a bunch of plastic cards. So I guess it, uh, they might as well do it in both ways. Yeah. And I wonder if it'll have a smart chip in it or not. <laughs> I would think so. Pretty much all of them do now, at least out here. Oh, I know. But I mean, like even, even that tech, I mean, that technology is pretty advanced, but pin chip or chip pin, pin and chip, they call it. Um, yeah. That seems to have, uh, yeah. I mean, you were saying too, also, you have a thing where you're a service where you can turn your credit card on and off as you use it throughout the day? Yeah, and I kind of wonder if Apple would offer something like that. That would certainly be pretty useful. Um, I could see this, like, assuming it is a physical card, I could see it being presented as, hey, you know, everybody knows you love Apple Pay and it's, you know, it's grown by leaps and bounds and so on and so forth. But we also know that sometimes you're in a situation where Apple Pay is sadly not supported. Well, we've got the Apple Pay credit card, you know, that, that gives you a great percentage, a great APR. Uh, maybe it gives you like, I don't know, cash back or get points with in partnership with Starbucks and all these other retailers, you know, you can imagine what they could do and it would make a lot of sense, right? Yep. Maybe they'll have Apple points. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you use it for discounts on, on things at the Apple store, right? Yeah. Like iPod socks. Um, all right. Uh, so we got another story here on, um, the AI this time. We got, yes. And I feel really awkward pronouncing this university's name after some of our pre-show discussion. So I'm going to go with what I started with, which is Carnegie Mellon is launching an undergraduate degree in artificial intelligence. My understanding is this is a uh, like a specialization from their existing computer science degree. For those of you wondering, I think this sort of specialization makes sense to me in, in terms of you know if people are wondering like why not just go the computer science route. If you've seen folks who have uh, what are ostensibly like computer science degrees, but they end up being in human computer interaction, so they focus more on the you know user interface, you know whatever that means, voice, graphics, you know tactile that sort of thing. Um, there's probably some some pros and cons to going the specialized versus the generalized route. And so everybody will have to consider that. But with everything going towards 
you know, machine learning, deep learning, artificial intelligence as being sort of the, the wave of the future. I, I can see where it would make sense for a university to offer this as well as for students who might be interested in that sort of field. For sure. Yeah. And Carnegie Mellon is one of the top CS schools in the country. So you're still going to get, even if you specialize in that, you're still, I think you're still going to get a, a, a very solid, broad computer science education if you go yeah, there. Yeah, sure. EMU, that. as they call themselves in the article here, it says it has a long history in artificial intelligence, including creation of the first AI computer in 1956. Mm. So they've been at it for a while. Mm-hmm. Well, that's neat. All right. So what else you got for us there, Jaime? Uh, this one is related to Swift. So some time ago, maybe a couple months ago, Swift moved from mailing lists to the uh, the forum set they have today. They've gone ahead and expanded and have a related projects section of the forums or some of the bigger projects you would probably use or at least have heard about or care about, like uh, they've listed them here. Kitura, Source Kitten, Swift Lint, Swift NIO, the uh, the new one, Swift Protobuf, and Vapor are the uh, projects there. And they, it looks like they don't want to just stop there. You also want to include others in the future, but this is sort of their first starting step. So that's that's pretty interesting to see them building that community piece around it, you know, kind of in a more cohesive state rather than, let's say, relying on third parties like, I don't know, Stack Overflow, for example, or Quora to end up solving that. So this mean within the, within the forum they're going to offer this support? Because, I mean, these are these links just point back to the GitHub repositories for these various things. I just had a quick look at Swift Lint, for example, right? So And it says here in the paragraph before that the forum is going to offer support. Does that mean that people will be able to go in and ask questions? Is that what the idea is? Yeah, if you go to forums.swift.org and then on the left-hand side, there's the announcements, evolution, development, using Swift, site feedback, and right there at the bottom is related projects. Right. Okay. So I can drill in there and say, oh, uh, I've got a question about Swift NIO, right? Tap on that. It's like, oh, look, here are uh, only a handful of topics. Um, let me see if something that's a little bit more like Vapor has a few, Protobuf, Source Kitten. Looks like they just got started. So it'll, it'll start to build up. All right, cool. Um, oh, the next one is me. So yeah, um, I, Marin was mentioning today on our Slack channel that uh, this uh, Ryan Nystrom, friend of the show and I hope friend of the show, but um, author of the IG List Kit, uh, working for Instagram, has found or unearthed uh, a, a kit called Classic Kit, which basically was, it ties in with what we were talking about last week. Uh, it makes you, it gives you the ability to create applications like uh, an Internet Explorer clone that looks like your old Windows, um, Windows 3.1 or Windows, yeah, Windows 3, you know, with the bad, you know, 16 or 64 bit graphics and um, um, sort of part edged, uh, chiseled edged um, UI. So if you're interested in doing, oh, it's a Windows 95, actually, it says right here on the 10. So if you're looking to build an app that that's, looks similar to Windows 95, you're welcome to it. Of course, the author here says he is, you know, this is all copyrighted material from uh, Microsoft. So uh, your uh, your your mileage may vary if you try and go public with this. But it's uh, interesting. There's a built-in uh, ready-made, comes with a ready-made browser if you want to just play around with it and put it on your phone and have a laugh. So friend of the show, Farley, Caesar said that uh, it scares him because it reminds him of some of the horrors of working with older versions <laughs> of Windows past. So. <laughs> all right. Um, so, yeah, so this is another story here on the, we talked about the Logitech Crayon for the new iPad, uh, which is targeting the um, school systems, um, the, the new iPad, the low price, I think it's 349 US, and this uh, Logitech Pencil, which is, or sorry, Logitech Crayon, is meant to be a, a more accessible uh, version of the Apple Pencil at $49 as opposed to $99 US for um, for the Pencil. Um, but th- So this article here covers the, it's now available to purchase, uh, that covers some of the uh, the ideas behind how it works and stuff like that. But 
what's interesting to note is that it only works with the the uh, the new iPad. It doesn't work with the iPad Pros because it doesn't use a Bluetooth. Let me just see what it said. Oh, short range RF rather than Bluetooth. Short, yes, right. Short, short range radio frequency. I knew radio was on the word there. RF instead of uh, Bluetooth, which is I believe what the pencil uses. Um, is that right? Yes. Well, I'm still so that's why I'm still eagerly awaiting the new iPad Pros. Hopefully, with the new design and the uh, Face ID. Right. So if if uh, if it happens and if it's compatible with this, maybe I'll pick one of these up too. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see though. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I think that this this uh, it's kind of like this is the um, education version of the iPad if you think about it that way, and this is sort of the education version of the pencil. So uh, interesting that they could limit the technology to just this device, right? And it does the same thing as a pencil. It you know detects whether you've got your pencil upright or on its on an angle. If you have it on an angle, it makes a wider stroke, that kind of stuff. So I s- assume it's using the same uh, stylus. Um, what's that thing called? Um, the framework that Apple uses for uh, for stylus. Well, I'm not sure they they chose to make it uh, use the the RF uh, specifically so it would work with the new one as opposed to the old ones. Uh, in, as opposed to the new one now has this new technology, and they're assuming the future ones will have that technology as well. So, oh, I see. Right, right. So they're just getting ahead of the curve. No, well, maybe maybe you, uh, yeah, maybe this RF is more reliable than Bluetooth. You know, because you know Bluetooth can be a bit flaky sometimes, right? Yeah. So maybe it uses less energy. Who knows? It could be a number of reasons. We'll find out in a couple of weeks at WWDC when they yeah. explain to us why they did this. Right? So yeah, I'm kind of wondering. I'm kind of been holding out on buying an Apple Pencil until at least WWDC to see what happens. I was right. wondering if it was a wise time to invest in an Apple Pencil, considering that we're what, four months from September when new devices would come out, and one less than one month from WWDC where we can at least get a, a hint that there's like a an even finer grained uh, touch point system or something. Maybe they're going to come up with the iPad the Apple Conte crayon or the Apple magic marker. Who knows? Insert your favorite drawing stylus here. All right. So how many you've got some, the Apple fountain. Yes, <laughs> the Sharpie. <laughs> the Apple Sharpie. Well, that's the magic marker Sharpie. Yeah. Sharpie trademark, you know. All right. So how many you got another one here? for? Oh, this is, yeah. I saw this one earlier too. Yeah. This one's really weird. I, I assume this is for people who said, you know what? My $1,100 US iPhone 10 is just not expensive enough. How going to make it even pricier? Uh, apparently there's a Russian accessory maker named Caviar that is selling a uh, solar-powered iPhone 10 case that's confusingly named uh, Tesla. Yeah, I was going to uh, ask about that. And says, uh, made on Earth by humans in honor of when Elon Musk sent a Tesla Roadster into space. I just thought it was amusing. I mean, <laughs> it's something you should take a look at. It looks uh, not like $4,500, yeah. um, but uh, I don't know. There's only going to be 999 units made, so do the math. That's how much money they can make off of this. So yeah. wait, this is a customized phone. This isn't a case, right? It's hard to tell from the the, the article here the, it says for 40 for for $4,555 you get the iPhone 10 Tesla with 64 gigs of memory or storage and they have another one for 4805 you can get 256 gigabyte models so this must be the phone do you know by the way there there is a phone I was, I was poking around YouTube last week and there's a phone I don't know if it's uh from last year maybe an 8 or a 7 that is has diamond encrusted and gold and I think it was millions of dollars for that guy hmm. I'll have to find a link that one. So it's, right, those is, aftermarket ones. Yeah, and it was like they'd taken, they basically they, they bedazzled uh, um, an iPhone with uh, with uh, gold, actual gold and, and real diamonds, like, you know, enough to make it worth millions of dollars. This apparently has a solar panel too, which is kind of interesting. Interesting idea, right? But there's no specifications on how well it charges or not, right? Yeah, remember when we talked about my idea for having like the Apple Watch Eco Drive sort of thing where it absorbs solar energy and bo- 
body heat and just, you know, motion, the piezoelectric sort of motion to uh, recapture energy and have a truly never have to replace it battery or never have to recharge it battery. Sure. Can you imagine if they made a watch that would wind itself as you walked along the road there, you know? <laughs> imagine that. <laughs> Self-winding watch. Someday all watches will be made the same. Do you remember that? They don't remember, Do remember that, that, no. Seiko, hmm. the old 70s commercial. Someday all watches will be made the same. I don't remember there. Yeah, had a Seiko, there. though, and this probably in the 70s. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a high-end watch, right? And I think they were trying to they were trying to say that their watches were better than other people's watches, right? Mm. So. Well, it wasn't a Rolex. No, no, no. I don't think I even knew about Rolexes back then. All righty. Well, um, next story here I've got is I've posted, uh, it's actually the, uh, this is May 16th, we record. So yesterday was the uh, anniversary of uh, the <laughs> the anniversary of the original Apple Store announcement by Steve Jobs. And the, there's a video here connected to this link. Um, so May, 20, May 15th, 2001, that would be, I'm not going to do the math. I may help me out here. Uh, 17 years ago. 17 years ago. Thank you. Mm-hmm. More years ago. Um, I'll get Mac talk to say the, the, the dates if I say it wrong again this week. Um, yeah, so uh, there's an interesting video of, of Steve. I remember the watching this at the time. I'm sure, I don't know if you guys remember it, but uh, Steve going through and talking about how, you know, they were going to have the latest iBooks and the latest, you know, uh, iMacs. And they had like pro the Pro Series computers with their titanium, you know, at the time titanium G4 was the top end. And they had a G4 Cube, if you watch the video, uh, interestingly enough, hmm. um, as of their Power Macs, right? Um, and talking about how they were going to break the store up and, you know, they were going to have a whole solution section. And this is long before the Genius Bar was was even thought of. I can't, was this, I think the first store, was it in New York at um, near, um, you know, the big one, that the one with the glass uh, no, cube? No, according to the article, there was the one in Tyson's oh. Corner, Virginia, and one in Glendale, California, which is down by, oh, okay. outside of LA. Right, yeah. They've obviously been converted since then. But, you know, interesting uh, interesting idea. They had, you know, the, the areas where the kids could play with their with the uh, Macs. There's the Flower Power Mac, if you look at the image there. I mean, with the Flower Power and the Dalmatian, what I call it Dalmatian Macs, back in the day. So. Yeah, the one with the kids uh, in, a, in a quad. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, the Apple stores have totally upset, you know, retail um, from that perspective. I mean, like it basically killed all of us little Apple resellers and, you know, when I gave up selling Macs, there any if you drove any direction, north, west, or east of me, you would hit an Apple store. Unless you hit, if you headed south, you'd hit the lake, right? But you'd pass by two Apple resellers on the way down. So that's that's when I knew my, my days were numbered. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a big deal and, and definitely not a guaranteed success at the time, or at least, you know, no. definitely yeah, it wasn't was, everybody. It was definitely it was controversial at the time because everything was moving online back then. It was just, you know, just right. starting to. And it seemed like your brick and mortar stores were, you know, they, people were saying brick and mortar stores were going to go away completely. Everything was going to go online. And so for Apple to do this was kind of a kind of a shocker, but man, did it pay off, huh? Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, what's that? Uh, who's the lady that's the VP? Angela Ahrens? What's her name? Yeah, yes, I, I believe that's, that's right. correct. I think that's right. Right. She came from The Gap, I believe, right? Like from retail? Uh, Burberry, I think. Mm-hmm. Burberry. Okay, yeah. There was some executive, I think at the time they had hired, who was from The Gap and who sort of had the whole sort of, um, you know, retail sort of experience down. Because, I mean, Apple's certainly done a great job. I mean, like, you know, their, their stores are packed everywhere you go, right? So, yeah, and think yeah, about good. the context of the time, right? So Mark mentioned the online stuff. This was the era of Gateway 2000. You, you order yeah, online yeah. and they, they ship oh, yeah. it to you. Dude, you're getting a Dell. It, w- it was around that same time. Yeah, um, and, and they mentioned CompUSA with the store in a store concept. Um, the now defunct CompUSA and has been for yeah. like six years. I remember CompUSA in Circuit City. If they had Mac stuff, it was in this sad little dusty corner. Yeah, it was right. Like, right. Right. Nobody yeah. visited there. The lights, you know, flickered. It didn't work properly there. You could tell the, the sales agent that was there was clearly already thinking about getting another job. Um, <laughs> this was this was like why it was so 
necessary for Apple to do this and why they took that what was clearly a big gamble because, as we mentioned, it wasn't guaranteed to be a success, and and yet it was. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because, like you said, like you said, this was what two thousand one, so like six years before the iPhone, even right? Yeah, it's hard yeah. to believe it was. Well, not only is it hard to believe it was that long ago, uh, but uh, I was kind of shocked when I saw that when I thought about how how long before the iPhone this was. Right, because right. you kind of think of you know the iPhone is when Apple really took off and and was really fully back. Although I guess they had been you know for a while before that, but it was really the iPhone that that really cemented it, cemented the comeback. Yeah, what year did the iPod come out? Because this is around that same time, right? Uh, when did the iPod come out? Maybe around Google. that time. Yeah. So it's here October twenty third, two thousand one. Oh, so only a few months after that. Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Well, and we were talking last week about the iTunes on yeah, October twenty third. iTunes on Windows was sort of what um, started started the drive to people buying iPods, right? And I guess the the idea of the haloing over to the um, to buying Macs, right? Yeah, it's taken a long time, but but I think now you know as we've seen now the the Mac is you know a, a computer of choice it seems right uh-huh. to go with the iPads and the iPhones and so on and so forth. Slow slow long tail story, but um, successful for Apple. Uh-huh. All right. Well, this next story is a um, one we've talked about a number of times, and uh, like they call it in the article and a couple of articles I've read on it recently or just today researching this was that um, you know Apple's self-driving cars their is their worst kept secret. Um, and according to the um, state of California Motor Department of Motor Vehicles, they've confirmed that uh, Apple now has 55 vehicles on the road and 83 licensed drivers to test autonomous vehicles, so self-driving cars. So we were talking about Apple Car in general, right? I think I think it was our, what our story was in the past, but this is this is uh, self-driving cars, right? Yeah, I, I think I saw one on the road not too long ago. Really? Yeah, it was definitely a self-driving car. Uh, it's hard to say whether it was an Apple one or somebody else's, but but it kind of looked like I imagined Apple's would. It was, you know, it was white and kind of almost like a small SUV looking thing, but just loaded with cameras and, and equipment all around. Yeah, I seen in another article I was reading, I saw like a sort of a, yeah, weird looking, almost like a moose horns kind of um, set of cameras on the top. Whereas I think the Uber one is just a little a circular spinny thing on the top, right? With yeah. some IR sensors at front or whatever. I do have to say that it looked nothing like the uh, artist rendition in the image uh, in this article, <laughs> which actually is a lot like what I predicted years ago that uh, Apple would do. They would take the concept of the, the tiny little smart car mm. and make it cool. Right. And right. that's that's kind of what this image is. I've, I have no idea if Apple will actually do that, but that's what this artist rendition looks like. Oh, here's an article from TechCrunch, which has the, the, the sort of moose horns I was talking about. Let me, let me paste this. While you do that, for those of you who are driving, since this is an audio-only medium, if you've ever seen the Tom Cruise movie Oblivion, and if you <laughs> imagine he was driving a car instead of flying a little pod, that's pretty much what the artist rendition looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I look at the link I just pasted in the show notes there. I've lost it myself now. So you can see why it looks, why I say it looks like um, moose horns, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know that I would have come up with that myself. I think there's a cultural difference there. <laughs> what would you call that? <laughs> One I don't know, from, like uh, the Great White North in Canada to, yeah. to think of that as a moose. <laughs> yeah, you know, mini spikes. What, what would you call that? I don't know, like your your roof rack or your ski rack for your, your car. Yeah. Did, did the sensors you, you saw, Mark, look anything like that? Or? They very much look like that. So, yeah, I think I think really? it probably was an Apple car that I saw. Interesting. Yeah, it's funny. Greg and I were talking. Greg came up to see me in Toronto, I guess, last weekend or last week. Um, so, yeah, last weekend. So we had uh, we had lunch on Monday. 
day and we went, you know, to the, the around TD Center where I work. And um, there's a sculpture there called the Pasture, which has a bunch of um, bra- bronze uh, cows, right? Um, it's been there for years. It's a famous piece by a Canadian artist. I think it's Canadian. But um, so we always joke about, you know, meeting by the cows. And actually on, on Foursquare, it's called the cows, not the pasture. Um, but we, we were standing there two years ago and uh, we were standing on the street and a Google car went by and both of us went and looked, looked at it, went Google car. Oh, cool. Whatever. And neither one of us thought, let's take a selfie with the Google car, <laughs> you know, which would have been cool. I think <laughs> if I was there and if it was stopped, I would have taken a photo as if I had been hit by the car. <laughs> just laying on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's funny because, yeah, because, you know, when, and uh, so we were talking about going back onto Google and, and seeing if, if our pic, because we just stood there and looked at it and, and sort of smiled and waved at it, like as if, you know, we were we were being photographed by the Google car. But unfortunately, I went there the other day and from my, my perspective of um, of that corner, we were on the corner of uh, Wellesley and um, uh, York Street, if people want to look it up, on the north side. And it's a, it's a Santa Claus parade, people waiting for the Santa Claus parade for some reason on that street. I don't know why, but uh, hmm. I guess that's more exciting than, than Greg and I standing there waiting to have our picture taken. So anyway. <laughs> I think the thing that's most striking to me about this article and this chart is everybody's talking about Apple and Waymo, you know, what Uber and Lyft are doing. And then you look at this chart and say, wait a minute, General Motors of all companies has, yeah. they have two fewer than Apple and Waymo combined. Apple and Waymo would be 106 and General Motors Cruise has 104. Oh, registered cars. Yeah, but look at the approved drivers. Oh, I see. On the bottom, they still dominate that, although it's sort of weird like how that Waymo setup must be working. Waymo has 51 cars and 338 drivers or safety drivers. General Motors Cruise has 104 cars, 407 registered drivers. So Waymo is the Google one, right? Yes. Uh, ish, if you right. did, like like yes, old Google, awesome. right? Because now it's yep. Alphabet. Yep. Right, right. And Apple's is nearly one-to-one. I mean, it's 55 and 83. So what was your point that, that General Motors Cruise has twice as many? Like 104, right? Well, like I, I, if you would ask me, oh, how many autonomous vehicles do you think General Motors has on the road? I don't know, ten. Because you never hear about it, right? All all the right. all the the sexy headlines are about Apple and Waymo and Uber. Yeah, so I wonder where they're testing the the General Motors ones, right? Yes, in the Detroit area. That's where they. Have that okay. That's where the headquarters is, right? No, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. They're also here in in uh, Oshawa, Ontario. Mm. So, isn't there some self-driving cars up near you, Jaime, up in near Seattle or something like that? So, I think there is some testing going on in the Kirkland area because of the Google team that's working on that. I don't really know too many details. I have not seen one on the road, although I did see one at the Google campus when I was there recently. Unfortunately, it wasn't really in a good spot for me to take my dark humor photo with it um it was sort of weird seeing the little um i assume they're the lidar sensors they just sort of like rotate and spin around like norelco you know beard shavers yeah, yeah. it was a little unsettling like seeing that rotating and hearing it it made like a little hum but hmm. otherwise it looks largely like a normal vehicle with additional peripherals attached to it now, i wonder why you don't see these at auto shows too we just had our big auto show here in in toronto a few months ago i don't remember seeing any self-driving cars i saw a lot of electric cars like um i, I or yeah, either hybrid or and they're coming down quite a bit in price. I mean, here in Canada, if you or in Ontario anyway, until we're just having a provincial election, so these this may change. But um, currently, if you buy uh, an electric vehicle in Toronto or in Ontario, you can get up to fourteen thousand dollars off, I believe. Right, so that bring that makes pricing it makes you know the pricing attractive. You know, when you look at a thirty thousand dollar vehicle coming down to like you know um, you know eighteen or sixteen thousand, you know, or like smart car, because it's pretty reasonable, right? Plus, around here at least, you get. Uh, 
uh, you get to drive in the carpool lane on the freeways. Oh, do you? Which, yeah, yeah, which is a huge, huge thing if if you have, if you have a commute, which pretty much everyone does around here. How many lanes do you have on your main road up to? Was it Redwood City you go to? Right, I go to Redwood City. Lanes? So there's two main roads. There's there's the uh, there's the 280 freeway, which is the one I take, which and there's the 101 freeway. So the 101 freeway is kind of the main one. It goes right up the east side of the peninsula. But I take the I take 280 because it's usually a little bit less traffic. Uh, although it's right, you know right. it's a slightly longer route for me, but but it's usually faster because because of the uh, the less traffic. So, uh, yeah, so the it, 101 goes by the high, by the airport, right? By the San Francisco airport. Yes, yeah, yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, much wider. Yeah, yeah. But they both end up end up in San Francisco if you go far enough north. Uh, so right, yeah. it the number of lanes varies uh, on 280. It varies from in some spots it's like four, and in some spots it's five in each direction. Actually, at one point it, it constricts on a three, which is pretty awful. It always gets pretty tight there. Mm-hmm. And so they take the left hand lane and turn it into a carpool lane. Is that in, right? In a lot of it, yes. Not the whole way on my commute, but a lot of it has a carpool lane. It has a left lane. Yes. So if you don't drive an uh, electric vehicle, you have to what have another passenger or two? Yeah, or? technically it's it's called HOV, high occupancy vehicle lane. So you have to have at least two people in there. Or if you if you do have an electric car, you can and they, there's a certain number of them that they give out every year. So if you if you buy an electric car, you can apply to get a ticket or a sticker. And and if you get if you right. get one, then then you can drive in the HOV lane. Cool. So it 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 often helps. It doesn't always help. Sometimes the carpool lane is just as packed as everything else, just as jammed. But uh, sometimes it does help. It's interesting. Interesting here on this chart. I don't see uh, Uber on the chart of registered autonomous. Yeah, I was noticing that too. It's kind of strange. You've got, you've got four for Lyft, but nothing for uh, Uber. Yeah, looking closer, it looks like it's with the California DMV. So I think Uber does theirs in Arizona and oh, okay. Pennsylvania, I think. Oh, I see. So it's just, just California we're looking at. Right, which makes those numbers even more interesting to me because that's that's a lot for one state and, and one probably one area of one state. Well, I would think, too, it's most likely that California would be the first one to adopt this kind of technology, wouldn't you think? It's probably easier to make autonomous vehicles that can slowly shuffle through traffic. Yeah, <laughs> seems like an easier coding problem than having them zipping around at 60. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool stuff. All right. Yeah, and if you're going five miles an hour and crash, it's not as bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, it's, it's the whole thing, like, I don't know if you've ever studied, you know, traffic patterns or like seen those, those you know, diagrams that explain how you know, the circadian rhythm of, of, of traffic jams, how, how that kind of works. You know, you get some guy, some idiot who pulls off, you know, changes lanes without uh, signaling or whatever. And it kind of, everybody starts to break and it kind of just sort of ripples through traffic behind, right? So you would think that with autonomous cars, they would be able to sort of react to those better than, than a human would, right? Yeah. And keep this keep the steady pace and that kind of stuff, right? So yeah, my pet peeve is the people who you pull in behind them and they hit their brakes for no reason, yeah. other than I guess they panic because now there's somebody behind them. I don't know. I don't know what that's all about. Well, they do that to piss you off. I've heard yeah, of people maybe. doing that. When, maybe, I guess. If they feel you're tailgating them, you know? Yeah. They just tap the light to freak you out. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> anyway. So at least in terms of uh, speculation and prognostication, I think if at WWDC we suddenly get a lot of updates to CarPlay, then I think we'll have a hint <laughs> that it's a little bit closer to reality. Yeah, we're just going to see. Yeah, I wonder what the what they're going to say about the HomePod at the WWDC, if anything, right? I sure Do hope we- they say something because it seems like all the fun stuff has been sucked right out of this year's WWDC. No UI refresh. No Marzipan. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. Hmm. Maybe a t-shirt is better than going to WWDC this year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so 
hoping to find a, an Apple car under, the, under my seat. But I, would, <laughs> I would take a, I would take a HomePod under my seat. Would you? Yeah. yeah. I think in all seriousness, they're almost certainly going to have something nobody has speculated on. Um, some real nice updates. It's just, uh, it feels like a weird bummer that we had all these rumors that, hey, this thing is coming. Oh, wait, no, it's not coming. I, I think I would have <laughs> rather not known. It would have been like Christmas mornings. Like, oh, what's in the presents? What's in the presents? Yeah. What was the big surprise last year? Large titles? Or I guess it was AR Kit, right? Yeah, AR yeah, Kit and yeah. Coromel, Vision Drag, Framework stuff. Drag and drop. Well, we had Coromel the year before, but I guess the... Uh... No, Coromel came out last year, didn't it? Did it? I thought it came out yeah. two years ago. No, Maybe, no yeah. last year. Well, we'll have to see what, what yeah, what interesting things have come up with. I'm telling you, Touch Bar Kit is going to be the, the big the big seller. Touch Bar Kit, yeah. Yeah, how to, how to make Touch Bar apps, you know? Mm. Touch, touch Bar on the phone? <laughs> yeah, Touch Bar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> OLED on the... OLED, an OLED trackpad. Yeah. yeah who knows? Um, all right. So, Jaime, do you have uh, some picks for us? Or let's move on to our picks and what do you got? Yeah, the first one, as I mentioned the beginning part of the show that uh, UIConf is going on. I, it might be over by now. Um, it was from May 13th to the 16th, and given the magic of time zones, it is almost certainly over now in Berlin. But there were two days of that are available on YouTube. As uh, They were live stream, as uh, as I understand, but I, I did not watch them during the live stream. But in either case, it's helpfully saved on YouTube, so you can watch both days. I don't know if they have any time codes on there. I need to check. They didn't when I put this in the show notes. Take a quick look here. So it's like a 12 or eight hour. Yeah, it's like an eight hour thing and it seven, includes seven hours and 50 minutes. Wow. Yeah. And it includes the like, oh, this is the lunch break. So there's like an hour and a half of a, of a blue slide just sitting there. So you might have to click around a little bit to find things you want. I would suggest going and looking at the UI Conf website and seeing what the schedule was and then sort of guessing from there, like, cool. yeah. you know, which ones you want to see. There's certainly some interesting ones that I saw on the, on the list that look cool. Like, uh, I don't know how this pr- name is pronounced, uh, Corolla Nitz advanced debugging techniques in Joachim Kurtz. MVC is not your problem, which sounds like one I'd like to see. Hmm, interesting. Cool. Let's check that out. Mm-hmm. Did you listen to any of it? Is like the audio decent and all that kind of stuff? The audio did seem decent to me. I think I randomly clicked into um, whatever Dave DeLong's session was about. Right. The second day, I think. Cool. Yeah, I hear, I see a lot of things about UI comp um, from time to time. And in fact, the, the gentleman you mentioned at the beginning, uh, Rene Fouquet, is how you said his name? I see him, I follow him on Twitter and, and he's, I think he's German because he talks, he has a lot of German references in his stuff. Apologies if you're not, but because uh, UIConf is, is in, um, where is it? Dusseldorf or something like that? Somewhere like that? I what believe it's say? in Berlin. Berlin. Okay, Berlin. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's what I thought you said. What else you got for us as far as picks go? I mean? Yeah, this one is uh, a pick so nice. We used it thrice because I think this is Tammy's pick twice. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I just installed Visual Studio Code this week and actually like really tried it out. And I really liked what I saw out of the box. I haven't really tweaked anything or changed anything, but what it does out of the box for Markdown, which is like half of the reason I installed it in uh, JSON was really nice. It does uh, on the JSON side, it does uh, folding and code format or sorry, formatting. I don't know if it does linting because I, I chose a JSON source that was not full of lint. Um, maybe it does that out, out of check. And the Markdown stuff is really nice because you can get a really easy side-by-side um, editor and live preview, which is really nice if you're you know, writing documentation or something. And I, probably one of the best things in my mind is the fact that it is, as far as I understand, it's based on Electron and it's the first Electron app I've tried that does not feel like an Electron app. I was so, going to say, is an Electron bad or something like that? Yeah. I mean, Slack feels awful as a desktop app that uses Electron. Uh, GitHub desktop is an Electron app that feels awful. Like everything that uses Electron 
Spectron seems to be terrible. Um, whatever Microsoft has done with Visual Studio Code, they did a really good job because it feels snappy. So that's a, a kudos in my mind. Hmm. Maybe they had all those years of experience writing really bad UI. <laughs> Maybe they should put a Windows 95 mode on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know I've heard people talk about using Swift because because this is a you can download different different packs for uh, for whatever language you want to support, even Python, I would assume, right? For Mark. Yeah, like all these different extensions like Golang, Angular, uh, Python, Swift is on there. There's actually a few Swift ones, so I'd have to do some research and see which one is the best. But it looks really, really nifty. It's available on uh, Windows, Linux, and Mac OS. Great, so, yeah. yeah. We haven't installed it on our computers at work, but I haven't really played it other than opening it and looking at it. And it was requested by one of our other colleagues. So Cool. All right. So I guess that's it. So, hey, Jaime, if people want to get a hold of you on the intros, where would they look? I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. All right. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you? Mark R at smapsoft.com or find me at WWC in a couple of weeks. That's true. Yeah. Hit him up for a t-shirt. Um, yeah. So I'm Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine. And that's the best way to get hold of me. And until next week, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. Goodbye. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Carnegie, Carnegie Milligan? Yeah. No, Carnegie Mellon. I know, I know. <laughs> Milligan. Uh, just rolled off my tongue that way. Um, oh, in a, isn't it actually Carnegie? Yeah, maybe. Probably is. I, I always say Carnegie, but I think it's. I think it may actually be Carnegie. Yeah, because it's not Carnegie Hall. That's maybe probably where we're getting that from, right? Carnegie, you know, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? You know that well, it would, joke? well, I don't know, actually. It would be named at the same guy, I would think. But you're right. It, it is Carnegie Mellon. You're right, now, now that you say that. But then again, how do you say foyer? Foyer. <laughs> I speak English, not French. How do you say cupola? You know the thing on the top where the the, the weather vane is? I don't know. So you, I say foyer, you say foyer, right? I say foyer, yeah. yeah. And and cupola is cupola sometimes people I hear Americans say. Mm. I used to watch these um, uh, home improvement shows and I would hear people say foyer, foyer and cupola. Cupola, sorry. Whatever. I can't even, can't even say it wrong. I can't even say it incorrectly. <laughs> oh, well. Java. What can I say? So does, does foyer, uh, ha- is it spelled F? F-O-U-Y-E-R? No, there's no U in that word. Oh. It's a French word, you know. Yeah, I know. Foyer? Yeah, I know. Foyer. Yeah, okay. If I'm, shouldn't I'm... it be like a like a U R like Le Fleur? Well, no, it's like Patrick Wa, right? R R O Y is not Patrick Roy. It's Patrick Wa. Roy. Roy. Well, you get the get the rolling, and then you, you get do that in your in your R. It's like R W A. Roy.
but foyer is. But you got to do the like, at the back of your throat, right? Yeah, you don't have to. You can talk. Foyer. 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 I don't know. Actually, I'm not sure. Well, you, do you put the R? Do you roll the R when that's at the end of the word, or only? I don't know. I had a friend named whose name was Pat Royer. Royer. It was Y R O Y E R Y A. Same thing. Same thing. Only different. All right. Continuing. Lift.org. Have a look at this one. I could not uh, find a straight answer for Carnegie or Carnegie Mellon. Like I didn't really want to go look through like a. You know, just like type a, in. If you type into Google, how do you pronounce Carnegie Mellon? I got all sorts of weird answers that were not consistent. And what I really wanted was like ten seconds of somebody saying, "Welcome to this year's 2018, yeah. um, you know, uh, graduation ceremony." Like clearly, right, right. like the president of the school is going to say the correct way. You think? Well, hopefully. Hope, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's not Ohio State University. It's properly pronounced the Ohio right. State University. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah, they get real twitchy about that. Oh, it's not Ohio. Oh, it's the Ohio State. Here, how do you pronounce Carnegie? Here we go. Well, so I found one where they're pronouncing it Carnegie. That doesn't sound right at all. Here's how New Yorkers say it. Says, yeah, they said New Yorkers say Carnegie. Hmm. So it sounds like the uh, Scar- the official Scottish pronunciation is Carnegie, but the New Yorker pronunciation is Carnegie. Yeah, I'm yeah, trying yeah. to. I'm trying to think. Like, isn't uh, this university is in Pittsburgh, right? Yep. So how do the Pittsburgh Pittsburghies Pittsburghans? Pittsburghian Pittsburghers. Yeah. Maybe it's Pittsburghers. All right. Hmm. Maybe we should stop wasting time on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it's funny. Like I was just watching a thing on on AI and uh, on on Nova, and they were talking about they got the uh, computer that beat the um, uh, what was it called? The, the it wasn't Deep Blue. It was um, something Go AlphaGo. It was a computer they set up to beat the guy who the, you know, the Go Master, which because Go is like one of those incredibly complex games where there right. number of possibilities are more than stars in the universe kind of thing. Yep. Um. Anyway, they were saying that they were just talking about the amount of um energy that's required. Like you know, we, our brain basically sits in our head, and it's you know we. You know how it's finite size, you know, and it's um, it runs on a, like around 60 watts of energy. Whereas this um, AlphaGo was like several data centers and you know used copious amount of electricity to beat this guy. So I mean, in terms of the amount of amount of resources that goes into making AI at this point in time, it's still pretty pretty high. Right? Oh yeah, for sure. That's a interesting show. It's on uh, Nova. It's called uh, Nova Wonders. I'm not sure if it's like a science show that they do from Nova, but uh, I think Nova's on Tuesday. I thought you guys get Nova. Out there where you are on PBS? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So maybe you want to throw your PBR and record tonight's show. Interesting. It has a, like sort of a layman's, layman's explanation of um, how deep learning works from you know, neural nets and stuff and how they how they kind of stumble across it because they apparently developed it years and years ago, but they never thought of using it until, and it's close to how we think. Well, our brains yeah. Work. So they, they did originally develop neural networks years and years ago, probably back in the 60s or 70s, and the computers just weren't powerful enough for them to be useful. Right. Uh, right. So it had to wait and, and to add in in fact, you know, people were exploring other methods like uh, support vector machines and things like that, other methods that were considered more promising for AI uh, until the computing power just caught up and, and all of a sudden it was it was uh, relatively cheap to to have uh, a huge amount of, of computing power and you could and made these deep neural, deep neural networks viable. So so they've taken over now as the dominant uh, uh, approach. Sure, yeah. yeah. Leaps and downs. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. So, Jaime, a little bit of uh, sort of um, fact check on um, Spockcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we were, you, you were talking last week, the other day, I guess it was last, when, when did we record that last week, right? Mm-hmm. Um, about um, goaltenders and whether you can just have a big, giant, massive guy in the net, you know, or like, you know, sl- uh, you know, attach a piece of plywood to the back of a goaltender to prevent people from scoring. But one thing I didn't talk to you about is that is, and I talked about the art of goaltending, and it's one of the things I learned from, you learn from playing net for a long period of time is that you actually come out of the net like out of the crease to block the shots because by coming out of the out of the the net towards the shooter or towards puck you actually cut down the angle behind you like if you can imagine um like if you could draw a line from the puck to the two two posts goal posts in the crossbar and if the goaltender steps into that you know how you know what i mean like it's sort of like a camera reference too, like depth of field and that kind of stuff but as the goaltender Mm -hmm. moves towards you he blocks more of the net right yeah the goalkeepers and soccer will do the same yeah well goalkeepers mm-hmm. in soccer compared to the size of the net they're like gnats compared to the you know i, I think so that it, was my premise because because mark missed that piece right so my question was since from what i can tell goaltenders wear like some body armor underneath uh, yeah like the big you know the big square pads sure um i wondered why it wasn't possible to have a player so large that they physically cover every part of the goal so yes you come out because you do not cover the entire goal because you're not that large of a person but if you were you would go back as far as you could and cover every corner but even no no see but see when you're when you're standing the thing about it is, is if, you, if you watch a hockey game if a goaltender is a, like in back in the net like near the, the goal line for instance right it's like the the shooters have tons of net to shoot at which is why we step out of the crease and we stand we step towards them like on on a breakaway or whatever a goaltender will skate out to meet the the, the player and then skate back that's another reason why you know we couldn't have a, a an over oversized guy um goaltenders have to skate just as hard as uh, forwards do not i mean we're not talking about skating end to end but they have to come out and meet the guy and, and as he moves left and right they kind of skate backwards and and uh, and backwards at the same speed that the other guys are skating forward which takes quite a lot of effort right and he, so he's got to be fast and have good reflexes which doesn't necessarily correlate with with guys who are really big yeah yeah but my premise is like you you don't you don't need to do that if you essentially have plugged up the goal with your <laughs> like tlc yeah, uh, I'm a 1500 pound man you can, sort of you can cover every single inch of the plane of the goal then yeah, yeah you probably could yeah and, and if the puck <laughs> is stuck back there oh well I, I guess uh, Denise Crosby's cousin Sidney Crosby can get back there and pick it up himself <laughs> yeah big big groan from uh, Jonathan on that one yeah it's like um, the, gonna, the best defense some... is 100% defense <laughs> so just for just for you and and uh, maybe I'll post these in the show and say I don't, I don't know but um, I was actually just in, going through the garage and and because uh, actually, believe it or not, I just hung up my skates last year. But um, so I'm I'm looking for somewhere to to donate my equipment to, but or some you know needy. Maybe I'll send them up to the up north to where they need equipment to play hockey. But um, just so you're never going to play hockey again? Um, you know, yeah, I'm getting too old for it, right? No. So I'd yeah. love to, but yeah. the, the, the guys I played with just they don't they don't want me on their team anymore. Mark. Why don't you find us? Yeah. There must be a senior league somewhere. Oh, I've, I've been playing senior leagues for years. I'm oh, I'm, I'm you've you've outgrown that. <laughs> yes, yeah, senior is like. 35 and up. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super senior. Grandfather. You know, I'm having, I don't know about you guys, but I'm having all kinds of trouble with, with uh, High Sierra with file formats. Have you guys not had any trouble with that? No. Yeah, let me see. No, I, like, can you be more specific? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to open this file here. I'm trying to, I'm uploading this file from my computer. I go into um, my picture, or sorry, my photo library. Like lately, I don't know what it is. My, my like the, my uh, podcast uh, folder has got all these grayed out folders. And then when I try and save anything into it, High Sierra says that 
that file format's not supported or we can't save something with 32 character long names and whatever. So I'm just trying to grab a, a photo from my photos thing here. Let me just grab it here from, and I'll tell you what the error is. And this isn't from like the Dropbox folder you're talking no, about. Is, yeah. So this is, this is, uh, this is going into Slack. It says, sorry. And it's, and the name of the file is LKMSRM plus whatever dot JPEG is a type of file not supported by Slack. So, so, so Slack doesn't support JPEGs is what I'm supposed to believe. Let me drag this to the desktop. See if I can turn it into a real JPEG. Come on. I don't know. I've just been having all kinds of trouble lately ever since I switched to High Sierra huh. with file formats and stuff. Yeah, there you go. There's a JPEG. Let me grab it from the desktop and see if it makes a difference. But it's just, it has, I think it has something to do with folder permissions or I'm not sure what the story is. Like back in the day, I would have gone, you know, and run uh, folder permissions on the, on the drive or something, right? I don't know if it's like, you remember that um, that bit they added to files to make them secure? Remember that one? Like the gatekeeper? What do you call it on, what do we call gatekeeper on um, on Mac? I thought it was gatekeeper. So hang on, let me go to the desktop here, grab this image. Where'd it go? Oh, man. So I found a very dodgy site that says that the dimensions of the widest man was like two meters. And that's that's good because the, the hockey net is only 1.2 <laughs> centimeters tall. and It's four by six. 1.8 wide. If you want to get technical, like in technical American terms, it's four by six foot. It's always been that. So it's not, it's not measured in meters. Hockey is one of the few games we measure in feet. <laughs> okay, so 72 inches wide by 48 inches tall. Essentially, essentially, yeah. Yeah, so if you're two meters wide and, and presumably tall enough. Yeah. Two meters cover wide that is pretty wide. Yeah, like, see, this this question is really, like, I wanted to not see the weight. I wanted to see the dimensions. So if, you're, if you look at Slack, can you go to Slack, you'll see the image of my, that's my chest protector. And it's basically like, um, you know, hard plastic backed with foam. And, and it's because when you get hit with a puck, it hurts. Right, right. right. So I don't know how, how, how big would they have to make that to fit on a, and I, you've seen me, I'm a pretty big guy. Can you imagine how big you have to make that to put on a regular guy, right? Like a, I mean, well, do you want to win 10 Stanley Cups in a row? Or do you not? Yes. You're not gonna, That's I'm how I'm you. winning it. <laughs> winning as coach of all time. <laughs> That's how Jaime's going to win the, win the game there, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> I think Mark's seen enough hockey games to know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be, like at that level, you have to be super, like a super athlete. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've tried things like Jonathan. I'm surprised Jonathan said that because in football, we've had, you remember Lou Ferrigno? Yeah. You know, Lou Ferrigno, the original, like, original yeah, Hulk. Hulk. Right? Yeah. yeah. He, they put him on, on the Argo team at one point, right? And uh, the, just to see, like, you know, on the, on the football team to see if it made a difference. And it didn't. He was just like, just a regular guy down there on, on the field, right? Because there's some big guys. About oh, and the, right? yeah, these days, Lou Ferrigno would be tiny compared to the NFL players. Yeah, yeah. So some of these guys yeah. weigh 400 pounds. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. They, well, I mean, they try. I, I remember when I worked in the bar at, at, uni, at university, York University, and uh, the you know the football team would come in for beer, and and you'd be looking at these guys' belly butts. Like, you know, they were so big. Mm. You know, tall, tall, and and large. You know, wide. Right. Yeah. Like offensive linemen are in the NFL are like literal freaks of nature because they'll be 350 to 375 pounds, mm. but yes, there will be fat bulk on there, but they're tall and muscular and huge and fast, and fast. Like, yeah ridiculously fast they'll, they'll run uh, a 40 yard dash in like 4.6 4.7 seconds which this is just i giant, could not do <laughs> giant, giant players on the field yeah yeah your stink stuff did you, did you guys see this um somebody in the nfl got a like a rugby dude who was like enormously huge and just bowling over whatever uh, rugby league he was in mm-hmm. um i think he got drafted by somebody in the nfl i'll have to look that up right oh here we go the philadelphia eagles used what 
What did they use? Seventh round of the NFL draft, they selected Jordan Mailata, a Australian rugby player who's 20 years old. He's six foot eight and weighs 346. Hmm. Oh, great. Dude is a monster. I'm going to put a link here for you guys. Six foot eight, eh? Yeah, I didn't really have a good place to put it, so I put it there in the pick section. Right. Some basketball players are pretty huge, so you, you kind of think of them as being tall and skinny, but not all of them are. They're tall and some of them are tall and big. They're not, you know, they're not like uh, heavy set like the linemen are, but they're still pretty enormous. Yeah, it's definitely changed from, like, I think Steve Kerr came out and said that, you know, he couldn't play in today's NBA because, you know, guys like Jordan and Pippen were more typical yep. and, a, and a weirdo like a Shaq was big. Now a Shaq is not unusual right, anymore. Right. And LeBron James is enormous compared to a Jer- uh, Michael Jordan. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah, the, the NBA game has gotten so much more physical um, than it once was. Well, it's like, have you ever seen the, I don't know if it's not Enter the Dragon, but there's one of the um, Bruce Lee movies where he fights Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was one of his students. Mm. Yeah, and like the, the big boss or something, I think. Yeah, I don't know. But he was a big, giant, tall guy, and, and, and it was like, it was ridiculous because, you know, Bruce Lee was just kicking his butt, right? Even though the guy had reach on him, right? Yeah. Well, that was a movie. <laughs> oh, Game of Death from 1978. Yeah, where he has to like go up that tower, and I don't, I don't remember which level of the tower that, that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was. Right. Oh, yeah. He had to fight all these different people. Yeah, like a video game sort of thing, is he goes up each level until he gets to like the big boss at the end. Right, That's the right. movie I'm thinking of. Right. Huh. Strange. Did Amazon ever announce where they're going to put their new plant? No, not yet. I thought they did. HQ2 has not been announced yet. Oh, so I heard Toronto was off the list, right? Uh, I don't remember the last cut, but I don't recall Toronto being cut. Yeah, I don't think we're, we we would have been, we'd still be talking about it, I thought. I thought we were off the list. Or, we, or they'd shorten the list a little bit more and Toronto wasn't on it. I'm not sure. Um, was Did Toronto decide not to offer anything? No, no. Mm. I think we still want the deal. Yeah, I haven't seen anything. Like, if you have a link that I could look at, I have hadn't heard any change in in that. Yeah, Ours I knew it was still probably Toronto, um, several sites in the DC, Washington DC area, um, Atlanta, a few sites in Texas. Hmm. No, I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, we're we're off the list for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, with this Seattle thing, I think I saw something similar being done in uh, proposed in like the Mountain View area, and that was specifically targeting Google with a similar payroll head tax sort of thing, mm. trying to extract something like ten million dollars out of them or something. The, the weird thing, all right, so I'll take Seattle because it's probably like a really good example. So the dumbest thing you could do if you're Seattle is to try to do something that makes it harder for your city to acquire uh, more Amazonians, um, secondary um, tech headquarters or tech office like Facebook and Google have. Because if you do it at the city level, all it does is incentivize them to do things just outside of your city limits, right? Like in Shoreline to the north, uh, Tukwila to the south. Or if you're smart, like the city of Bellevue, you say, hey, we're not going to do anything dumb like that. And we sure would love to have all those wonderful, uh, highly paid employees in expensive buildings in our city. Oh, yeah. Well, that is Google's just a bus yeah, right away. Or, or hasn't started yet, but is planning to build a, a giant campus in San Jose, just outside of downtown. And so San Jose is, is bending over backwards to, to make them happy because it'll be huge for, for the city. So I just pasted an article just in the, link, in the notes there about um, Amazon, but uh, just just like from today. So finished visiting the top 20 contenders for its new headquarters. Find where the list of 20, here's the list of 20 in, in January 18th. I thought Toronto was off the list. I oh, know we're still on the list. How about that? Yeah, so it's Atlanta, Austin, Boston, 
Boston, Austin and Boston, Chicago, Columbus, Dallas, Denver, Indianapolis, Los Angeles or Los Angeles, um, Miami, Montgomery County, Maryland, Nash- Nashville, Newark, New York City, Northern Virginia. Is that a city? Uh, so some of these are yeah. like in the D.C. area. Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Raleigh, North Carolina, Toronto and Washington, D.C. I thought we were sort of off the list. I'm not sure why you thought that. I feel like it's a self-deprecating sort of thing because I remember Toronto being a, uh, actually a pretty good option. Yeah, no, that's what I thought too, but I, I just, I don't know why I thought the, um, or maybe we were, I don't know, they haven't been talking about it on the news. They were talking about it on the news for quite a, you know, a couple of months back they were talking about it, right? Uh, I mean, it's the only one outside of the U.S., which is both a pro and a con. No, or, Montreal's on the list. Oh, sorry, Montreal? No. I thought just no, happened. Montgomery County. Um, Dallas, Dallas Dodge's list of Amazon HQ biggest losers while Toronto, Miami, and L.A. get tagged. Maybe that's what I'm thinking, right? That sounds like we're, we're losers, right? I mean, it depends on um, my perspective, right? Like, um, it's sort of weird to say, you know what? I really don't want tons of good paying jobs coming to my city. <laughs> Only 50,000, yeah, exactly. I would prefer to be like Detroit that is becoming a, a cold husk of its former self. Mm-hmm. Uh, my understanding is that the suburbs of Detroit are actually pretty nice, but um, ours in a, doesn't have anything to do with like the city proper where you have burned out houses that have been abandoned. And, uh, you know, there is plenty of affordable housing in Detroit because of that. Uh, that's not to say that like growth, growth, growth doesn't have its own problems, but I think you end up solving those with different sort of approaches, right? Like I think certainly the Bay Area has suffered mightily from this, and I'm hoping that Seattle and Portland don't follow them down the same path where you, you just sort of have to let go of the past. And you have to build dense housing. Mm-hmm. Um, something like 75% of the Seattle uh, Seattle city limits is zoned for single family housing, right, right? which sounds great. And I'm sure it worked really well in the 1960s when you know Boeing was the biggest thing on the block, but mm-hmm. you either have to tell people, hey, nobody else can move to this city <laughs> and shut down shut down your borders, which is something that would be very ironic for a sanctuary city. Or you have to say, you know what? The city is changing. How do we deal with it in a sensible way? Yeah. yeah. Well, this article I found here says Dallas-Fort Worth area may not be ultimately the, win the Amazon.com second night borders. At least North Texas has escaped the list of biggest losers. Toronto, Los Angeles, and Miami were tagged with that distinction in an op-ed published Wednesday in the day. De- and this is back in March. But it says, um, the Dallas caller knocked Toronto for its lack of incentives and, well, just being generally in Canada. <laughs> being, generally being in Canada seems to be a knock. I mean, you could look at it on the one hand of like, hey, it would be pretty nice in case we do shut down our international borders and still move on as a company. And you no, know, Canada seems to have uh, easier restrictions around that. Um, on the flip side, I keep coming across all this uh, concern coming out of Toronto like and Canada in general. Like, oh my gosh, this brain drain. Look, like nobody's sticking around. They're going to the United States. No, no, they're coming back. This is what I hear. It's it's the other way around. That more more businesses are moving up here. There's lots of uh, iOS jobs up here, technology jobs. So who knows? We've got that big honk in airport too, right? So and that's ultimately where the office, the headquarters will probably be. I mean, mind you, um, it's the warehouses that really make Amazon run, right? Those those robotic airport um, warehouses that they have. You know, is that what they're talking about putting here? Because does that bring fifty thousand jobs? to this area? No, it's not It's not warehouses because they'll have those mm-hmm. just about everywhere that they can that it'll make sense. This is, if they're calling it a second headquarter, 
numbers, it implies to me that a lot of uh, product development and presumably a lot of autonomy would occur because Amazon has some, some reasonably large size. I think they already have one in Toronto, if I'm not mistaken. They have one in Austin. They have one somewhere in the Bay Area. Um, but neither one of those was considered like a second headquarters. And from everything that I can tell, it seems as though even internationally for like you know Amazon's uh, international properties, everything still runs through the United States mm-hmm. as making all the decisions. Right. So I, I'd assume that this HQ, the second HQ is can have more autonomy. And if Seattle keeps being very grumpy about good paying jobs, uh, it runs the risk of it becoming the actual headquarters, similar to the way that Boeing left the Seattle area and moved to Chicago for its headquarters. Wow, there are quite a lot of um, cities on the original list. It just says here, another article says that Arlington has just been taken off the list like two days ago. So they were on the list. So it remains to be seen. Indeed, indeed. I thought it was a done deal. I thought we were, I thought we had lost the playoffs, as it were. I wonder how the Winnipeg. I feel like that's a Toronto Maple Leafs hangover back <laughs> happening. <laughs> you just have like a darker view of the world now. Yeah. Well, you know. Uh, the Bruins got knocked out too. Hmm? The Bruins got knocked out too. Did they? Yeah. Yeah. But the Bruins are the one who had that dude that was licking people? No, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like the licky was it? Guy. Okay. The licky guy. Was it Tim Golden Bay? Knights? Top Jets in game so. three. Oh, no. Golden Knights are going to kick us out. Complete. Oh, did, uh, did y'all see that the Carolina Panthers are being sold to a guy, a hedge fund manager for $2.275 billion? No, is that a lot? Sounds like a lot. It is definitely a lot because, uh, let's see, I, I swear I saw an article five to seven years ago where they went through the uh, the top NFL franchises and one, two, and three, I don't remember the order of that year because it, it changed over the couple of years that I was uh, looking at this survey. Your top three would be the New England Patriots, the Dallas. Dallas Cowboys and the Washington Redskins somewhere in like the billion to 1.1 billion dollar valuation. So for a team that really hasn't done anything like the Carolina Panthers to sell for 2.275 implies to me that the floor for the Cowboys, the Patriots and the Redskins is somewhere like three to three and a half billion with upwards of five billion dollars of value. Hmm. It's a little unfair. They haven't to say they haven't done much. They've made it to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Yeah. I mean, it, it, they've had some, you know, recent ish stuff. Stuff, but they certainly haven't won one, much less a, a dynasty. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the, the Cowboys, the Redskins, and the Patriots have, have you know won more, and certainly the Patriots uh, tons recently. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's a lot of moolah. Mm-hmm. It's got to be vanity money, right? Like, how can you make money on that deal? <laughs> but I don't know. If, if I owned the Carolina Panthers, I would wear the T-shirts every day. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, if you got to dress up fancy for something, I'd have you know one of their T-shirts underneath, or wear the socks or something. Yeah, I, I would be that guy. I'd, I'd be the like the Steve Ballmer, like who owns the LA Clippers and the NBA. He's really weird and annoying as a you know CEO of Microsoft, but I think he fits really well as this like rich goofball who's like super excited about the team and goes out there and cheers uh, at every game. By the way, there, there is one Ask MTJC we didn't talk about on the show. Oh, what was that? I missed one. It says follow up on recent episode of MTJC from Jaime Lopez Jr. <laughs> that was my own. Yeah, I guess I mentally filtered it out. Yeah, I uh, surprise, surprise. I didn't wake up at six in the morning to view a webinar on uh, fintech. So that design. was just the other day you were talking about that because you, you talked about that on Spotcast, but I think right or was it last week? Somewhere we talked about time zones. Was yeah. that not an MTJC? Yeah, I think it was MTJC last week. But you had said that you booked a uh, for two PM BST. You got confused between BST and PST. 
Yeah, because, you know, when you see the email, you're like, oh, that looks sort of like a P, yeah. probably PST. Lots of tech companies, and this is from Envision. Like, oh, lots of tech companies, they're going to have stuff on the West Coast time, right? Mm-hmm. West Coast is the best coast. And then I looked at it and said, wait a minute, why is my calendar all weird? Is that a bug? <laughs> oh, no, no, that's British summertime. Okay. What is British summertime? Not summer so great. Time? British summertime was like 6 a.m. for us, and that was like 2 p.m. for them. Mm-hmm. Time zones are hard, Tim. You were, you were right with that pick. Time zones are hard. <laughs> so what time would 2 p.m. BST be for you? Like 6 a.m. Oh, 6 in the morning. Oh, okay. So yeah. See, so it would have been okay for you because you're in Eastern time. Yeah. 9 in the morning is fine. You, you wake up, you have your coffee, maybe eat some breakfast while you're watching this video. Sure. Mind you, I'd, I'd probably be at work in a meeting at that time of day, so... That seems to be my life these days, going to meetings. Mm. Let's see. So it's like one in the afternoon. So you come back from lunch to watch the WWDC keynote then, right? Because it's like uh, 10 in the morning. Yeah, one, one o'clock in the afternoon is when the keynote is for us. And then and then 5 p.m. is when the when the State of the Union is. And it's funny because I can't get I can't get any of the developers to stick around for the State of the Union, which is like the most important keynote of all time, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah, the one in the morning is to give you a hint of what you should pay attention to. And it's yeah. to get you all excited, yeah. but like a political rally, you know? Yep. Um, our candidate is the best, you know. And then the state of the union is like, all right, this is the real deal. Well, it's like, a, like I said last week, I was trying to get the uh, I, I announced to, the, to my team that you know the I, the uh, Google I/O thing was. I watched it. We was right. You know, we even cut one of our um, our retrospectives down so we could watch it and um, you know, to, to give the Android guys. So the, a couple of Android guys came, and and but no no uh, no iOS guys came, which is I think surprising considering we work so well so closely with our iOS or Android. Right. So they, you don't think you'd think they'd want to know what's going on right yeah i could i could see where it would be a little bit one way where mm-hmm. the android folks wouldn't care too much about apple stuff because it's not generally cross-platform but a lot of google stuff is cross-platform so we think there'd be at least some interest there yeah i don't know i don't get it i mean it's funny because like a lot of android developers have iphones and vice versa a lot of you know ios guys actually have androids as well right so yeah so the, my colleague who went to UIConf, an ios related conference is uh an android developer yeah on Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I keep telling them, like, they're still good in you. You you want to come back from the dark side, and yet, (laughs) and yet you resist. Right. Was he, so was he an iOS guy at one point in time, or? I think he did both. Carries an iPhone as his own personal device. So, as I like to joke with every Android developer who ends up in that situation, I'm like, we literally have to pay you to use Android. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody ever likes it when I put it that way. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's harsh. (laughs) True. <laughs> uh-huh what are you gonna do anyway folks i gotta do some cleanup so i guess we'll call it a night right there all righty okay. sounds good talk to you later okay good night see you later goodbye botox cosmetic out botulinum toxin a fda approved for over 20 years so talk to your specialist to see if botox cosmetic is right for you for full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.